I don't know about you, but depending on where my own barometer of justice, sense of justice is on a given day, and whether I'm listening either with my head or my heart, I have varied responses to this story. I can very easily vacillate from bafflement to anger to awe. But first, I want to remind us of the context of the Gospel of Matthew in which we have been walking with and through since the beginning of this year. It's been a significant journey, and I think it is significant to keep on our radar and before us the context in which this book was written in. The Gospel of Matthew was written to a Jewish community in Antioch around 70 AD. The Jesus followers within the Jewish community of Antioch were facing great complexity. They would have been grappling with the reality that the Romans had just destroyed the Jewish temple in Jerusalem, just south of where they were. They also were trying to figure out life together between those who believed in Jesus and that Jesus was the Messiah and those who did not. Fractures were developing in their community of faith. And if you had been there, there may have, you may have overheard some conversations or perhaps rather debates of who was in God's favor. In the beginning part of Matthew, we heard and saw that there was a case being made to the people there, that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. Last week and this week, we are interacting with Jesus' teachings, which describe God's kingdom, which is upside down compared to their community of practice. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first, is the final sentence of our gospel reading today, which depicts this upside-down message. But it's not only here. It's also in the, at the end of the story that precedes this one. So if you have your Bibles today, you can peek right before this text and see that the story of the rich young man is there. This rich young man comes to Jesus and directly asks Jesus, what will get him eternal life? And Jesus ultimately says, sell your possessions and follow me. It was hard for this man, this message. So hard that he left grieving. Jesus goes on to describe a new kind of economy where possessions and riches are not valued as highly as following Jesus' ways. And so we hear in the last sentence of the passage read this morning, but many who are first will be last, or sorry, this is the last sentence of the rich young man. But many who are first will be last, 
and the last will be first. Jesus proceeds to paint this picture of the kingdom of heaven where God is the landowner hiring out work. It reveals God's approach to God's economy, operating on grace, where everyone is given the same regardless of the number of hours worked. It's easy to enter through the mind's eye in which the sense of injustice is present. For this business model doesn't calculate evenly. The business plan is not balanced and perhaps fringes on recklessness. So it quickly becomes obvious that the landowner, God's self, is not interested in appearing fair or even responsible. But this story is as much about God and God's generosity and grace as it is in how it reveals our human predicament. We want order in life, and in that order there is to be fairness. We have built ideas of what makes one more valued than another, whether it's money, race, gender, sexuality, age, education, or skill set. Sometimes it's based on perceived effort or expectation. Our order comes with the greatest of intentions, at least I hope, and indeed is needed in some instances. But it falls short in God's economy. God's economy is completely different. It works on different commodities, that of grace and love. It also works from the platform of abundance instead of scarcity. Everyone is viewed and treated the same. The kingdom of God honors everyone. Unlike the community in Antioch, and perhaps our own world today, the accumulation of wealth is not what affords one into God's kingdom. The hardest worker who puts in the greatest number of hours is not what gets a valued member's pass. Years of sacrificial service doesn't get one first in line. And the correct genealogy or family history won't give one a free pass into God's kingdom. If you sit with this, as I've sat with this, it's a bit uncomfortable. And I believe it probably is for most of us. I've worked really hard to try to do the right things in life, to be responsible, to learn and to grow, 
to be a valued member of church and society. And I know many of you have too. Isn't that worth anything? It's a truth we need to face into that no one of us is worthier, more righteous, or more deserving than anyone else. In order to even begin to let this sink in at a deeper level, I think it does call us to dig into the story at a deeper soul level. It cannot be contained only in our heads. This extravagant generosity of grace and love goes beyond what we can comprehend unless unless we have personally received a measure of this generosity of grace. It is in receiving grace, especially when we feel it is undeserved, that we can begin to appreciate the gift and freedom of God's economy. I happened to listen to a Brene Brown podcast this past week in which, unbeknownst to me, she opened with this parable. In the conversation, the question was raised, how would we, the readers, feel if we knew that the workers were only doing the best that they could? She too was recognizing that viewing the parable from our head was not allowing the deeper reflection that needed to happen. But I find that this question begins to view the workers through the lenses of grace. What if the workers were all doing the best that they could? What if the worker hired at midday didn't make it to the first hiring because they were helping their neighbor with a farm chore because the neighbor was sick? What if the worker hired at the end of the day was taking care of their dying loved one and had a hard time getting out the door? What if all the workers that were hired that day were doing the best that they could with the circumstances around them. It is all too easy to pass judgment on what we perceive, but we do not truly know. It's easy to get angry when life is unfair. It's easy to justify holding resentment when others have an easier road than we ourselves do. These are real temptations. But what if? What if we embraced Jesus' depiction of grace in the kingdom? A place where you are honored for who you are and what you have to offer, just as you are. 
a place where you believe that you are doing the best that you can with what you have. A place where you trust that others are doing the best that they can with what they have. For we indeed do not know everyone's story, family, background, or experience. Within the last six months, I've been reminded in two seminars that I've participated in that I've identified that nearly half of children and around 70% of adults have experienced some kind of trauma in their lives. And in, in one of the seminars, the pandemic itself was named as a trauma. Our response in the church to sometimes trauma experiences or our own responses to the world around us is to try harder, have more faith, pray harder or longer, all which perhaps come from, comes from a noble place, but an approach that tends to shame, blame, and guilt ourselves and others. God seems to have another way that of grace, a way of meeting uh, each of us by accepting who we are with what we have. God meets us with grace that accepts that we are doing the best that we can at any given moment. What a profound gift. And it is our choice to be present with that gift orienting ourselves every day to God, to reflect on our inner being, do some soul-searching, and ultimately receive this gift. It is in this spirit that we all are invited to enter into communion today confessing and acknowledging that we come as we are and not who we think we need to be. We come as Jesus receives us, doing the best that we can. God's grace is plentiful for all. I invite you to join me in prayer. God of mystery and wonder, at this and every table, you dissolve the distance between the ordinary and the holy. You break the barrier separating the common and the sacred. We thank you for this thin place, this holy space, this well of grace. Amen.